Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Side of Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. Welcome back. It's been a few weeks. We have a lot of weird things to talk about on this show, a lot of ups and downs for this Cubs team. The NL Central race is getting, well, it's getting pretty intense. The Cardinals have been on fire. The Cubs are trying to play catch-up now. Uh, We have about a month to go in this season. Buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride, and stick with us for the next hour. We've got a lot to talk about. Adam, welcome back. Thank you, partner. It's good to be back. Good to have you back. It's uh, let's see. The last time we talked together, oh, I, I think it was before that uh, that loss against the Phillies with the Bryce Harper grand slam. I think it's been that long. It's been a while. Yeah, it it has been a while. Because I'm pretty sure the last time I was on this show solo, which was two weeks ago, it was during the blowout loss with Cole Hamels on the mound. That was the night before the Bryce Harper walk-off, and I'd rather not revisit that, so uh, we won't talk any more about that. Yeah, that's that's ancient history. We we don't need to rehash that one. Yeah, you you don't want to you don't want to recreate how mad you were throwing for our, things for our mental health. Yeah, I think it'd be best to just let that go. Well, why don't we? So it's been a weird week. I think weird is the best way to describe it. I don't know about you, but you swept the Giants at home. And look, the Giants are not good. The Giants were never good. Why they decided to not sell, I still it, it still bother, boggles my mind. It doesn't really bother me. They're not my team. It, it boggles my mind. I just think all it did is set them back further. So you had to take that series, and you did. Uh, again, we talked about that in our previous show, but then we get into the National Series. The Nationals are good. You can agree with that. They're pretty dang good. Yeah, they they are. I mean, there's there's really there's no argument there. The Nationals are a good team. I thought it was weird that they weren't a good team last year, because I mean, regardless of whether or not they've got Bryce Harper, that's still a great rotation and a great lineup. I mean, it's. They, they should have still been a good team without him last year. Maybe it was just a morale thing losing him. But mm-hmm. it's, it's really not shocking to me or, or anyone, I think. I don't, I don't think it's, it's a really very big shocker to anyone that the Nationals are good. You know, I think part of their success this year, especially the second half, is the, and we saw this the whole weekend, the maturity of Juan Soto. That kid is oh, good, man. man. That he, kid is really good. It's crazy. It's and he's what 20 right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's insane. You know and that that just makes me feel really old too that there's somebody in major league baseball. You know, I'm not used to that. I'm not used to being 4 or 5 years older than some of the guys in the league. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean it really is. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it either. Trust me, I don't. But you have him. You have just absolute pests. At the top of that lineup, Trey Turner, Adam Eaton, speedy guys that put the ball in play. And that was the theme of that weekend. The Cubs missed a lot of pitches. The Nationals, every opportunity they had to manufacture a score run, they just put the ball in play. They got him on, they got him over, they got him in, all with contact. And I think that goes to show right there that while we are in an era of slugging and strikeouts at an all-time high, 
the ability to make contact in certain situations will never not be essential to winning ball games. I think, yeah, and some people would disagree with you on on the playing for contact thing because that's just the era it is, like you said. But I do think and hope that the pendulum is going to kind of start to swing the other way where we prioritize uh, contact and maybe in some cases small ball over home runs because you you just see more consistency that way. When you live and die by the home run, it's kind of feast or famine and that's what it tends to be a lot of times with this Cubs team. Uh, but, you know, as far as the Nationals are concerned, I really think the Cubs just ran into them at a horrible time. Yeah, they I mean, I, I think the Nationals very easily could have swept any team in the league right now. They're just they're just crazy hot at the moment. And I, <laughs> you know, and you, you never want to, ex- especially for the Cubs, it's a good team and they're in the middle of a really tight race. You never want to excuse being swept. No. But having, but having said that, I think they, they ran into one of the hottest teams in the league. And so, you know, at least that's your, your consolation there. Uh, because, you know, had they been swept by a cellar-dweller team, then I would understand, you know, veins popping out of your head and stuff like that. But I, I just think that it was a horrible time to run into the Nats. It was, and the reason I chuckled is, it's funny, the Nats were red hot after that series. I mean, they've been red hot for weeks, let's face yeah. it. I think the numbers of runs they were scoring, like, over the past several weeks was, like, well over five per game. Like, it was like, ridiculous. I'm just laughing because literally the day after, or, like, two days after, whenever they played next, they lost 2 nothing to the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, okay, so... Going into, I think, the second game of the the series with the Cubs, Mm -hmm. over their last two series, I saw something that the Nationals were averaging like 9.7 runs per game. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's just, yeah, they were just unstoppable at that time. And, you know, it's not sustainable, but I think they at least showed you the talent they have on that team. And, I mean, look, the thing is, when you put the ball in play a lot, what what comes into play are hot stretches and cold stretches. You'll go through stretches where everything you put in play falls. And that's kind of what we saw in this series. I mean, everything the Nationals put in play was gold pretty much. It didn't help that the Cubs defense really faltered a lot of the time, but still, they were able to find holes. They were able to run out slow dribblers which was probably the most irritating part of that series. How many times did Trey Turner or Adam Eaton either like half swing or bunt and get aboard because of their speed? But, you know, you're not always going to have that same sustained luck over a period of time when you put the ball in play like that. But still, when you put the ball in play, it increases your chances of scoring runs when there are runners aboard. It, it's It's something that's, I think, important for a lot of teams to still remember, even in this era of slugging. But you're absolutely right. The Nationals came in hot. And the funny thing is, the Cubs on paper got kind of lucky. Yeah, they had to face Strasburg. They didn't have to face Scherzer, though. But they still faced Anibal Sanchez, who has destroyed them over his career. And what, Joe Ross was the other guy? It just nothing went right for the Cubs in this series. The 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 only one that really bothered me was Anibal Sanchez. I that's a guy they probably should have teed off on a little bit. And I agree. And man, he was he just was 
unhittable for a lot of that game. Yeah, it, that was the insane part is that Anibal Sanchez because yeah, he's always... so he's so far past his prime. Yeah. Remember when he almost signed with the Cubs mm-hmm. back in like 2013? And yeah. back then he was a pretty solid pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. Things change. But the thing that I thought on Sunday was they I thought they did a good job against Steven Strasburg. I mean, they didn't get a ton of runs, but you saw the nasty stuff he threw. The fact that the Cubs batters probably had their best at-bats of the series against Strasburg. They were able to run up his pitch count and chase him pretty early. I thought that was impressive. I don't know I about did, you. But... I, I, yeah, I did too. I mean, for you know what a clunker series it was. They, they had some redeemable moments in there for the Cubs. Uh, but I, I will say this for the Nationals. I'm glad that they've rebounded and they're having a good season because I really did not want Dave Martinez to get fired. Um I think he was deserving of getting that job. And I agree. So I'm glad to I'm glad to see that they're doing well enough that maybe he'll be able to stay there for quite a while. I still don't. I still think that firing Dusty Baker was premature and kind of stupid. But I I like Dave Martinez. I I think he deserved this shot, and I'm glad it's working out for him. The thing I have always said about Dusty Baker getting fired from the Nationals was. You look at how the Nationals lost in the playoffs to the Cubs that year before he was fired. You really can't blame him for that. He didn't really manage that series bad. That The Nationals no. themselves just threw it away themselves. There was literally nothing, in my opinion, that Dusty could have done overly differently that would have made a huge difference. Yeah, I really just think he was a scapegoat in that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Oftentimes, if you have that kind of reputation that Dusty has... It's going to bite you, unfortunately. I mean, and how many games did the Nationals win that last 97? year? The, yeah, you're going to fire a 97-win manager? That just seems seems a little uh, reactionary. Because in his two years as Nationals manager, he won 95 and 97 games. It was either 97-95 or 95-97, one of the two. But either way, he won 95-plus games each year he managed in Washington. Yeah, that's I I just I don't agree with the timing of, of firing him, but you know, that's that's all done and in the past. And so I, I hope that Dave Martinez is a mainstay in MLB as a manager. The funny thing is, too, they have a chance, a chance. We'll see what happens in the playoffs. But wouldn't it be something if in their first year without Bryce Harper, they finally win a playoff series. That would be that would be pretty funny. I'm not gonna lie, that would be that would be pretty funny. And wouldn't it be something, especially something, if that playoff series that they'd won, hypothetically, would be against Bryce Harper and the Phillies. Could you imagine the narratives around that? Oh boy. Oh man, that would that would be crazy. Speaking of the Phillies, that's another team that I think the Cubs now have their eyes on a bit. Let's just go into the playoff race. So the Cubs are trailing a few games behind the Cardinals. The Cardinals have been red hot. Uh, The Phillies have been up and down. They're kind of in a wild card race with them. Uh, Obviously, the Nationals, that was a notable series because the Nationals and the Cubs are in the wild card positions. This series right now against the New York Mets, the Mets are also in the wild card hunt. I'll ask you about the Cardinals first. 
Okay. Uh, do you think they're the real deal, or do you think they're just hot right now? I think they're just hot right now. I, I think I think parts of their team are the real deal, but I think as a whole, as a whole unit, I think they're playing a little bit past uh, what they really are. I, I think that they're due to come back down to earth a little bit here pretty soon, uh, and I, I believe they they lost today. They did so, to the Brewers. The, yep. Yeah, and it's looking good for the Cubs right now. So if you know, if all goes well, to yeah, knock on wood. By the end of the night, the Cubs should only be down two games you hope. in the NL Central. But yeah, I, I just think that overall, the Cardinals, they're, I think they're outperforming what they really are at the moment, especially that rotation. I think they've got, you know, it's kind of like the Brewers. I think with that rotation, they, they can't get all the way with that thing. I mean, one of the biggest factors going forward for the Cubs and the Cardinals is how the two teams play each other because they got plenty of games left against each other. You have four at Wrigley field and you finish the season in St. Louis three games set. So obviously that's a pretty big chunk of games right there. And I can agree. I think the Cardinals are definitely a contender. I definitely think they're a good team, but they've also been incredibly hot lately, like really incredibly hot. So that's that is one thing to keep in mind is, you know, how long have they been hot? How long do you see them being hot? There's going to be a lot of things like that that people are going to be looking at over the next week or so, because every game is going to swing the standing somehow. Yeah, well, I, I really I think it, it's going to come down to how you react uh, to losing a big series. I mean, like the Cardinals right now playing the Brewers. uh I think, you know, if the Cardinals lose this series, that can be kind of a demoralizing thing, and it can kind of set off uh, a string of, of bad losses from then on. Uh, but I, I think, actually, the Cardinals already won that series. My mistake. That's They took two out of three, lost right. the, the last one today. Uh, but they've got a series coming up with the Reds, and, you know, the Reds, they're not cupcakes necessarily, and that's, you know, the Cubs have had their struggles with the Reds. Uh, but, I mean, you look at this series with the Mets here, the Cubs. They, they're they coming off of a big sweep from the Nationals. Uh, they took game one last night, and they're off to a great start tonight. That's a that's a really great uh, comeback from being swept. And so I, I just I think it's going to be the first team to kind of hang their heads after a bad series loss. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh... I've been keeping an eye on the schedule obsessively, even though I read it over and over. Uh, there's, like you said, there's, it's pretty, I'd say what you summed up there, a pretty balanced schedule. It's not like all of it's hard, not all of it's easy. You have your games you should win. You have your challenging games. You, you'd say that's fair, right? Pretty balanced. Yeah. That's the best way I have to describe it. Yeah. Now, the other thing that I think is, I don't know if it's concerning or not, but it's something to keep of note. It's the fact that both the Brewers and the Cardinals, you play seven more times. So that's that's a total of 14 more games against division teams in the race. And then you have a few others against other division teams, like you said. But 
I mean, it's not like you play one more series of the Brewers, one more at the Cardinals. I mean, that's a huge chunk of your games right there, both of them. It, yeah, it's going to be tough. And, you know, I've, I've said this repeatedly throughout the season on this show is I, I'm enjoying this. I mean, obviously, I don't like that the Cubs aren't in first place right now. Uh, but, you know, as opposed to 2016 when the Cubs had a massive lead early on and it was a done deal that they were going to win the division. There was never I, a race. I, 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 yeah, it, it, it really wasn't. I enjoy having a tight race down to the end. I think it just it makes each game in these final months of the regular season really exciting. I mean, like I've said, in 2016, by this point in the year, I kind of lost interest in some of those last regular season games because they were more or less meaningless. Uh, these games, every single one matters, and so you, you're watching every single pitch, and it, it's it's more exciting, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's. I guess it's more of it's, a, a reason It's good to for watch. the game, I think. It's good for the league. Yeah, it's... Not good for my heart, but I know what you mean. It's good it's, for viewership, yeah. Yeah, I mean, people enjoy a good pennant race. People enjoy a good division, you know, coming down to the last game. I mean, that's what people like to watch for. Most other divisions look to be pretty wrapped up. I mean, there's a few that have tight races, like the AL Central, the Indians, and the Twins. I don't really know exactly how many games the Dodgers are up, but I'm pretty sure they're up by plenty. I mean, when you think about it, the only time the Cubs really ran away with the division in this era was 2016. You can go back and look at 2017. By the time they had won the division, it was pretty much set and done, but it was very close throughout most of the season. And then obviously last year it came down to a 163rd game. And then it may do the same 162, 163 again this year. I don't know if we're ever going to see the Cubs run away with the division in this era like they did again. I mean, certainly not like 2016, but even like a remote runaway, it's kind of hard to picture. Yeah, even with a lineup like that, I mean, that's a that's a once once in a lifetime kind of run almost. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing you, you just you don't see teams repeat like that. Um but having said that, I I I still I think this is this is good for, for fans because you know, I, I think there were a lot of people who off of twenty sixteen expected that to kind of be the norm. Uh and so I, I think people needed this little dose of reality that that wasn't gonna be the case. Yeah, because, I, because I've seen a, I've seen a lot of takes that, that are along the lines of, you know, oh, the Cubs look at Cubs 2016 and then they managed to turn it into this. And it's like, well, you know, this is probably more like what the norm was always going to be. Well, I mean, maybe closer to this. I thought maybe they'd be a little better this year, but yeah, it was. That's fair. You're not gonna. Yeah. You're not gonna see a, a seventeen and a half game lead when you clinch the division again like that, because right. everything had to go right for the Cubs on one hand. Second of all, that division that year was not that good. The Reds were terrible. The Brewers weren't any good. The Cardinals were very middle of the road. Uh, the Pirates weren't any good. So the Cubs at least had the luxury of, you know, beating down on a lot of those teams, which was one of the reasons they run away with it. But again, 
regardless of how good those other teams were. Even if all those teams combined were slightly better, the Cubs still probably run away with that division that year, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Right. So this is a race that we saw kind of like in 2003. Because remember, the, the 2003 Cubs won the division on the second to last day of the season. You also saw the 2007 Cubs come down to, I, I think it was the final series of this regular season. I mean, it was pretty close. I mean, this is more of what you're seeing right now. And the division's kind of similar to what it was back then, uh, at least in 2007, when the Brewers and the Cardinals were the ones kind of chasing you. It wasn't so much that way in 03. That was when the Astros were in the division. But you get my whole point. It's closer to that than what it was in, in 16 and 17. Right. I, I just, I think people needed to have their expectations tempered a little bit. So another question for you is this. Month to go. The Brewers have, I'd say, taken a significant slip back. Not, not a deadly slip back where, like, they're completely gone, but I feel like they're nearing life support if they don't turn it around soon. If the Cubs win this upcoming series in against Milwaukee at home, end of August, first day of September, I mean, do you think that they could bury them within a week or oh, so? Yeah. If, if not buried at close. I mean, and I said this more than a month ago on this show, uh, it was going to come down to the Cubs and the Cardinals. I really, truly always believed that just on paper, talent-wise, it was going to be the Cubs and the Cardinals at the end in this thing. You know, I, I think we all knew uh, that the Brewers had the potential to be in the thick of it there, too. But I, I, I kind of figured it was going to be Chicago and St. Louis. And yeah, Milwaukee, they look pretty pedestrian right now. Uh, and we said this even last year, that their rotation was not nearly as good as what we saw from them. Didn't they just DFA Jolie's Chassin, their opening day starter, mm -hmm. and like their all-star from last year? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Look at I Jeremy mean, Jeffries this year. You could go down the list. You, you just you look at those names in that rotation, and you, you have to wonder how they did what they did last year. I mean, I think they were just they were playing out of their minds. I think a lot of people, maybe not Brewers fans, but most rational MLB fans could see that. And I think this year they're they're looking more like the team uh, we thought they would, because th they just don't have the pitching. I mean, you got no. you have to have some top line pitching on your team if you're if you're going to win the division if you're going to make a deep playoff run uh, in normal circumstances anyway. And so yeah, I, I think the the Brewers they're in some trouble right now. Unless they really pick things up quick, they they could very easily be buried a week from now. A lot of Cubs fans, you know, have their gripes with the front office and whatever. If I was a Brewers fan, I'd be kind of pissed at the at my front office being the Brewers front office for not really doing more in the offseason. Yeah, they signed Yasmani Grandal. Yeah, you brought Mike Moustakis back, but you should have gotten more pitching. Why didn't you do it? Yeah, it felt I mean, like it, it felt like the Brewers relied on catching lightning in a bottle twice with that staff. Yeah, that's I think you said it perfectly. 
I think they were just kind of counting on making the same kind of crazy run they did last year when the reality was is that if they were going to if they were going to be true contenders this year they had to get some pitching they just had to and they didn't do it yeah i, I mean even just add another starter or two on top of that you look at their closer what's his face josh hader yeah he's been giving up a lot of home runs this year mhm do you think he's just having an off year or do you think they're just figuring him out? Well, it's it's hard to say. I mean, when you've only had one dominant year, it's hard to it's hard to know whether or not uh, you were a flash in the pan or if you're just kind of having some struggles. I think you know next season we'll we'll have an idea. If he struggles and he's given up home runs a whole bunch like he is this year next season, then maybe we can say he was just. He was lightning in a bottle last year. But right now, it's hard to say. Yeah, see, the thing with me is we saw the potential in 2017 when he came up. And then in 2018, he had that unbelievable year. He throws hard. He has movement. But I think his biggest ally is deception. And part of me just wonders, and I could be wrong, but part of me just wonders that players have simply picked up on the deception. Like they've gotten used to it. They've adjusted accordingly and the numbers are still pretty good. It's just not as ungodly good as it was last year. I mean, yeah. even, no matter how good you are, those kind of numbers are rarely sustainable. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, that's a hard thing to, to figure out. Um, it's the case with a lot of young pitchers. You know, you you're dominant at first, but then yeah, the the league they kind of figure you out. They've got a good scouting report on you, and they they know what you're going to do. And maybe that's maybe that's what we're seeing with Josh Hader. If the Brewers have to make a run, they're going to need their pitching staff to really magically get better. I I still think they can make a run at a wild card, but. Right now, again, knock on wood, I said this last year and they went on an unbelievable run. Knock on wood, they would have to leapfrog two teams this time, essentially. Well, and I mean, last year they they were just hitting the seams off the ball, too. And Mm -hmm. Christian Christian Yelich is doing it again. He's having the same, if not better, kind of just insane year. Well, he's Uh, just really dang good. What can you say? Yeah, but I mean, but then you look like you look at a guy like Lorenzo Cain, and he's not having the same kind of year as he was last year. Well, you know, Lorenzo Cain has always had a very good career, but last year at age what, 31, 32, mm-hmm. he was pretty much having his best year of his career. If you look at the numbers, it was yeah. arguably his best one, at least top two. Yeah, and so I think they were probably relying on him to do that kind of thing again. And he's, you know, he's more of a, he's come down to earth this year. He's, he's hitting in the 250s right now, which is good, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's nothing close to what he was like last year. Right, and you look at the difference between a guy like Yelich and a guy like Kane. Obviously, I think Yelich is overall more talented, but Yelich is also in his prime while Kane is getting older. I mean, when the Brewers signed Kane, they were really signing those first couple years of him just because of yeah. the fact that he was already older when not old, but older when they signed him. Okay. So I, I have a question for you. Okay. Um, when the Brewers acquired Christian Yelich, 
do you think they knew that this is the guy they were getting? And do you think the Marlins knew this is the guy they're giving away? Because he he was good in Miami. That is a good question. And he wasn't he he wasn't necessarily MVP in Miami, but he, but he was, was good. He was good in Miami. Yeah, he was very good in Miami. Do you do you think the the Marlins regret this now, having seen what he's done? Oh, I mean, that's, definitely. I mean, and he's he's so young that I mean, that's the guy you build around. Definitely, definitely. I mean. They they got Lewis Brinson, who was supposed to be this bigger yeah, prospect. He's and been awful. Yeah, yeah. I think the Brewers definitely saw what they saw now in Yelich more than the Marlins saw, if that all makes sense. Like sure. I think the Marlins were definitely definitely not as high on Yelich as maybe the Brewers were, and the Marlins thought, hey if we could trade him away and get what we think is a good return in Lewis Brinson while clearing more salary, then that's all fine, dandy, and great. But the Brewers are like, man, we have a chance to steal this kid because you take that kid away from Florida in that dungeon of a ballpark and you put him in ours, you're going to see the production go up. And I think that's where the, the biggest factor is in terms of how we fit in with the team he fits in much better in Milwaukee than he does in Miami. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean it's the ballpark to the team itself, everything. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not I'm not very high on Milwaukee's ballpark either, but but Miami's ballpark is easily in the bottom 5 and I don't if I if I was in the MLB, if I was a player, I don't know. I would I would find it really depressing to have to play in one of the ugliest parks in America that but a park where there's literally no people in yeah that's just that's the marlins even when they were a good team back then way back when nobody really showed up you know when people did show up um, in the 2003 playoffs was the nlcs but that's because there were like 40,000 cub fans at old dolphin stadium yeah i mean and, and nobody goes to raise games either i think florida people just don't care for baseball that much Maybe that's just not a good state to play baseball in. Well, I think the main thing with Florida is there's a lot of transplants from the Upper East Coast. So the baseball fans there are Yankees fans, Red Sox fans, Orioles fans. They're just, you know, they're, they're not going to root for the hometown team if they already have a, a history with their hometown teams, if that makes sense. Sure. Because when you think about it, when you go to Florida and you go to the spring training facilities... You see the Yankees are there. You see the Red Sox are there. And they all fill those stadiums to the brim. I still believe that there are probably more Yankees fans in, like, the Miami area than there are Marlins fans. Same goes with Red Sox fans. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't either. I that, that's, that's just that's part of the market. And I also believe, I also believe that if, the Rays had a better stadium in a better location. Their attendance would be better. I really do. I don't know. I, I just I just think it's Florida. I mean, I'm not saying it would be even in the top half, but I think it would be better. It's because from what I've heard where it is, it's in a really terrible location. And I mean, who wants to go to the trop? Do you want to go to no. the trop? No. I, no, nobody does. 
No. I think they, no. But it's funny because I've watched games that the Rays are playing in on the road. And when the Rays do something, you, you kind of see the crowd. And there are scattered Rays fans, people with Tampa Bay hats and jerseys and whatever. And I'm not saying they're a national fan base by any means. But I just I think it's kind of a Montreal Expo scenario where uh, just the, the location and the stadium is hurting the attendance. Like I said, I never would expect Wrigley Field 40,000 type sellouts if they had a better stadium, but I I do believe it would be at least better. I do remember when the Rays were trying to clinch the division oh, 2013 and they were literally giving vouchers away to try to get people there. <laughs> that's yeah. just that's just sad. Yeah, pretty rough, huh? Uh anyway, where were we? I, I, well, yeah, we were talking about the Brewers and the Marlins and yada, yada. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's the situation the Brewers have right now. Definitely the Cardinals are the biggest team we're looking at. Don't think the Pirates are going to be sneaking in anytime soon. I mean, the biggest thing you look at the Pirates games coming up is you just got to say, well, you got to beat them. Those are must wins. Yeah, they are. I mean, that's all you can do now, though, is look forward. Dan. It is what it is. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I just really kind of moving forward here. I'm, I'm impressed by the way that they've handled the Mets so far. It's eight to one now, by the way. Um, I mean, it's, it's really weird because everybody was so down in the dumps after getting swept by the Nationals, a series that they probably should have won. And so my first reaction after getting swept was you know, they'll go on the road and they'll they'll win the series against the Mets now because of course. I mean, and well, they're, and they're going wood. against top-notch pitching too. I, I'm not. I am not comfortable about talking about a win until the final out is made. But yeah, eight runs off Noah Syndergaard. It's pretty good. It's okay. Just okay. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, to recap quickly, you got home runs from Kyle Schwarber, Ian Happ. Uh, Kyle Schwarber also hit a double. So things are looking pretty nice for two guys that I thought really got got felt a lot of the heat this weekend. A lot of people were really trashing Kyle Schwarber. And I'm not saying he's the best player on the team, but I mean, the dude now has over 30 home runs. He's on pace for a really productive year. Just look away from the batting average for a sec. Look at the slugging. Look at the OPS. You look at a productive hitter, a guy that can produce, not your top talent, not your top hitter, not your leadoff hitter, but someone that can produce. And just seeing him with a double and a home run off Noah Syndergaard so far, yeah, pretty nice. I think, yeah, I think for what he is, he's he's he serves a, a good role. I mean, yeah, he's he's not going to hit for a very high average, probably ever. This it's probably just who he is. But he he's going to walk a fair amount, slightly more than average, and yeah, he's he's going to hit the crap out of the ball. And the home run he hit, Lucky and Haps, both of them, they were moonshots to the opposite field, absolute moonshots. And this was after. Joe Ross and Anibal Sanchez shut him down. I mean, isn't that just typical Cubs? And last night, they beat Marcus Stroman. Yeah, and, and Stroman, man, I'm still surprised that the Mets did that. But you know what? Man, they are they are red hot. Maybe, maybe, 
I, I'm one of the people who made fun of Mets management when they did that, that they didn't sell. But maybe we were all wrong. Well, I, I think even if you don't make the postseason this year, if you're the Mets, you can still use it as part of your future because I think this Mets group has a pretty solid core right now. It's not bad. It's really not bad at all. Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonzo, I mean, over 40 home runs right now as a rookie. Uh, you have Jacob DeGrom. If you keep Marcus Stroman around, if Thor can stay healthy for an entire season, I mean, you have a very nice core there. And it's funny because outside of the pitchers, it's a completely different core than a few years ago when they beat the Cubs in the NLCS. That was Johan Cespedes and Matt Harvey and Curtis Granderson. But you got to give the Mets credit. They've done a good job at finding some pretty good talent. Yeah, they have. And yeah, the Mets are a team that I think a lot of people thought had the potential to be good going into this season. Um, but also a team that wouldn't it, it wasn't going to surprise anyone if they were, you know, putting up nothing but clunkers either. Uh, do you think this Mets team is legit? Do you think they could find themselves in the postseason? I think they can make a run at it. I don't know if they will this year per se, but I'm definitely not counting them out. Let's just say that. I mean, they play in a really good division. They play in a division with the Nationals and the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves, I think, are probably the least talked about contending team. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel. So you play in a really good division. And the Phillies. You have the Phillies in that division, too. You have four teams in that division right now fighting for a playoff spot. One's going to win the division. Two others could be the wild card, or one could be the wild card. Who knows? But you have a battle in that division. Yeah, it's the the NL. I think the National League is it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, there's there's a lot of teams still in the hunt in that in the wild card in the National League, which is pretty cool when we're entering the end here, uh, as opposed to the American League, where it's pretty much down to three teams battling for two wild card spots in the American League. Would you yeah. agree? I, yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah. I'm sure Boston fans think that, you know, they're still praying every single night that they can get back into this. But I, I think Boston's done. Yeah, especially with Chris Sale going down the rest of the year. I, that's a pretty big blow. Yeah, I just think even with the way the rest of the, the American League is playing, I, I just don't see the Rays or the athletics faltering enough for the Red Sox to jump back into it. No, that's that's the tough thing for Boston, too, is it's not like they're two games back. They're six games back of a wild card, and they're 16 behind the Yankees. There's no way they're winning the division. No. Unless there's some unearthly accident that happens, and, uh, like, the moon is turned upside down, the tides are crazy, but... You know, until then, that's probably not going to happen. I think the most interesting race in the American League uh, is the Twins and the Cleveland Indians. They're pretty close. That the is Cleveland that is three a good and a half back. That's a good one. That is a good one. But I mean, the Astros are clearly going to win their division, even if Oakland is only nine games back. I don't see Oakland catching the the Astros. 
No, no, that's that's not going to happen. Did Nick no. Castellanos just hit another home run? You bet he did. Wow. Yes, big, sir. Big stick, Nick. What What an addition, man. You got to extend him, right? You got to try. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all aboard that train, yeah. Dude, and that was a bomb, too. That was, yeah, that was right center. That. Boy, Cindergaard, rough night for Thor. Ten runs. Ten runs off Noah Cindergaard. Man, (laughs) he knew it. Wow. Yeah, man, that's got to be one of the best acquisitions of the trade deadline. Has to be. That has to be one of the, yeah. What he's contributed to this team I mean, I think there, there's probably an argument to be made that he has contributed more to his new team than anyone else who has been traded so far. I mean, let's think of the others. Marcus Stroman overall has contributed. Yeah. Um, but he's a once-every-five-days guy, too. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'm trying to think of the other big trades. I mean, how's, you don't really hear about Zach Granke much in Houston because— Garrett Cole is taking the league by storm. So I don't really, Mm -hmm. I mean, my understanding is he's not doing bad. Well, I don't really know. And I think part of it is, is also just that the Astros are so good. They're so far ahead of the athletics that, you know, we're not really keeping close tabs on the Astros at this point, because it it just feels like it's a given, you know, that they're just going to coast to the end of the season in first place. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much a runaway. It it really is. They really don't have the microscope on them right now, as opposed to no. you know a team like of the Cubs not. or the Indians or the Twins, who are you know every game counts right now. I would say that Nicastianos is one of the best deadline acquisitions the Cubs have ever gotten in my lifetime. I mean, there have been a number of good ones. There was Aramis Ramirez and Kenny Lofton. Obviously, Ramirez was around for a very long time. Uh, Rich Harden had a great second half as a Cub when he came over in 2008. 2015, they didn't really make any big moves. 2016, you got to roll this Chapman. You obviously knew what you were getting in him. 2017, you got some role players, but nothing like Nick Castellanos. And the thing with Nick Castellanos was you were expecting a productive bat that was probably a step above platoon type. But now he's an everyday slugger. Yeah, I mean, it, it just goes to show what it can do for a player's psyche when they go from, you know, from a really bad team to a contending team. It just motivates you. You just you have a different. Even if you you tell yourself you're you're giving your all every day, no matter what the circumstances are, it just does something to you when you're on a winning ball club. I think we saw the same thing happen to Justin Verlander too. Yeah, that whole that whole thing has brought some controversy, and I do have to admit it is a little weird that a number of people have gone to the Astros and all of a sudden they have ticks up on their throws. But I'm not going to get into that. I'm not. I'm not going to play conspiracy theorist. But <sighs> yeah, we didn't see Justin Verlander returning to Justin Verlander prime form when he went to the Astros. I, I certainly didn't. 
No, but there he was. No, and he was a did. key contributor to that World Series. So you'd hope to go a step further if you can make the postseason, if you're the Cubs, and Nick Castellanos could be a big part of that team. That'd be big because we need his production. Two of your biggest bats are hurt right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and let's hope it's not too serious for Rizzo. You know, that's. I'm holding on to hope that it's not since they haven't put him on the IL. But, I mean, that's that's a potentially huge blow if he has to miss some serious time. The thing that worries me is that Rizzo has had the history of back problems. This isn't new. And I'm not saying he's old, he just turned 30. But he's not a spring chicken anymore. As you get older, back problems become more serious. And we, I talked about on the show earlier, one of the times you weren't here, that some of the Cubs beat reporters were making the point that he would need to see some days off to rest that back before he tweaked it again. I mean, they already knew that his back was going to be a point of concern. And now that he's missed a number of games, obviously becomes more of a concern. Yeah. And, you know, like like I said, the fact that they haven't placed him on the IL yet tells me that they don't think it's too serious. But given the history of back problems that Rizzo's had, it is a little bit worrying. Because, I mean, that's that really is a bat that you cannot afford to lose for a long period of time. Let me ask you this. What are you more concerned about right now, Contreras or Rizzo? <sighs> Well, it sounds like Contreras is getting closer to coming back, doesn't it? I think. I mean, he's working out. He's catching, what, throwing sessions with John Lester. I I think I heard that the other day. But, you know, hamstring issues and a catcher, eh, that that worries me. They don't mix. It's It's not a good combination, for sure. But Rizzo, like I said, age back problems and it's another one of these things where he's day to day but at this rate by the time he's going to be back in the lineup you might as well have just dl'd him or i would him i'm still not used to that yeah it's a it's a little ridiculous but yeah man that's it's it's worrying it's it's troublesome and it really, all you can do at this point is just hope it's not serious. I don't think he's going to be playing until they head back to Wrigley when they face the Milwaukee Brewers. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him bat once in this series in New York. You might be right. And, and maybe, you know, I'm sure they've they've done their homework here, but uh, I wouldn't be opposed to sitting him an extra couple games after he says he's ready to go. Uh, even given the circumstances of, of this being such a tight race and you want his bat back in the lineup as soon as possible, I just think that you know, with the way some of these guys are hitting, you could afford to try and survive without him. Uh, I, I would just feel more comfortable giving him a couple extra days rest just to you know be on the cautious side. Yeah, it's it's a hard situation to be in because you understand that it's a tight race. Every game matters. But you also don't want to push 
him too hard and risk further injury. It's kind of the same thing with Contreras. I mean, if you have Chris Bryant hitting the way he's hitting, if you have Nick Castellanos hitting the way he's hitting, Baez, who is really slumping over that homestand, has had a nice game today and had a nice game last night, a really nice game. He had a double, I think two doubles, a couple RBIs and a home run. So you hope he's bouncing out there and he's playing like Baez again. Victor Caratini has been very serviceable as a hitter. So if all those guys can produce, then you can last a little longer without a big bopper like Rizzo. I mean, we've seen them function without Contreras through a good chunk of the time. Obviously, they had their slumps. They had that Philly series. They had the Washington series. But overall, not having Wilson Contreras, I don't think has hurt too many games. Maybe you could have won another game or two had you had him, but he wasn't the main factor of a lot of those losses. Right. So you were able to get by. I think, it, it, you know, the close games are are huge for Wilson Contreras because you think about the kind of the cannon he's got uh, and the way he and Javi Baez work together on throwdowns. You know, throwing somebody out at second trying to steal can be the difference in a lot of these sure. tight games. And they, that's something the Cubs are missing with Contreras out right now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You miss his energy. You miss his bat. You miss his arm. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. things you miss with him. Yeah. And, and, you know, fast forward a little bit you, in the, if you're in the postseason, you know, that's, that's another, it's another area that's just absolutely huge to mm-hmm. be able to do that. Yeah. As I've said with my co-host on Swirsky sports talk, Chicago, you can get by a good chunk of the regular season without a guy like that, but it is essential that you have him in the postseason because that's a completely different ball game. It changes the game, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Here's another question I have for you. Okay. Going into a new topic, it sounds like we're going to get Ben Zobris back pretty soon, maybe within this next week. Where do you expect him to be in terms of a role on the team? I don't think he's going to be playing every day, clearly. No. I think that he may come in and pinch hit in a few occasions, maybe playing some matchups, but I don't think his role is going to be overly huge. I think more than anything, they're just welcoming him being part of the team again. I think initially he's just going to be a late inning defensive guy, maybe. I mean, you know, his defense is nothing special. He's not flashy, but he's not prone to making errors a lot either. He's rock uh, solid so at second. Rock he's, solid he's, is what yeah, I said. Yeah, he's fine. So I think that'll be his initial role. I think that, you know, they're not going to throw him in there, and it's, it's, you know, it's not going to be like last year. He's going to be a regular contributor. He's going to have to ease into it. And mm-hmm. given that there's not much time and the season left, it's really it's hard to say what kind of impact he can really have down the stretch. Because I think, you know, you've got a number of guys, you know, someone like Ian Happ, uh, who's been hot lately. I mean, he, he's sort of, you know, he was really hot at first. He, he's, he's sort of coming down to earth a little bit more lately. Uh, he had a big home run tonight, though. But, I mean, you really want to take that bat out just to put Ben Zobrist in and hope that he can be as good as he was last year? I just don't think it's going to happen. I mean, Zobrist had kind of a career year last year. And he's got a lot of rust to shake off now. 
You know, yeah, I know he's been working yeah. out in the minors, but it's it's just not the same thing at the big level. And it's uh, I mean, it's going to take some time for him to adjust to big league pitching again. I think so. It, I just don't see him being a, a major factor uh, throughout the rest of this season, including the postseason. No, I don't see him being a huge factor either. But I think I'd still rather have him back on the team than not. Let's just say that. Because I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not like you're taking up a roster spot. The, the rosters are expanding. We're going to see expanded rosters very soon. So you're not having to sacrifice some, I don't know, some guy who's you think could be productive for Ben Zobrist. You're not sending down a, a Rowan Wick or somebody like that. It's, it's a little different than that, which is nice. Uh, when when September call-ups come, who do you expect to be back up? Uh, well, Bodie. I think Bodie will be a, a main part of it. He's, he's up now, though, isn't he? Yeah, he had to come up because of the Rizzo injury. No, the, uh, uh, the Derek Holland injury. Hmm. Well, I guess my inclination would, would be a pitcher. Probably a, either a Dylan maybe, Maples maybe. or a Mekas. Yeah. I, it's yeah, not going to be Nico Horner. You're not going to see him no, until next year. No, he's, he's, not, he's not coming up, no. I mean, I'd rather have a more slew of arms, to be completely honest with you. So that's why, like, a Dylan Maples could come back, and I don't trust him in big spots, but if you need someone to kind of mop up an inning or two, that, that'll give you an option. Uh, depending on Wilson Contreras, you think we see Taylor Davis again? I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I, I, it depends. I think, I think it depends on on Contreras' status. I really, you need a lot of pitching, and I, I, I don't know. It, I almost would hate to see him have to carry three catchers. Well, I've done it before, but I'd rather those three catchers be I really Contreras, Luke, yeah. and Caratini. Yeah, I, I don't like it. I don't. I, I'm not a big fan of it, but. I mean, that's going to be the reality. I don't think they're going to be cutting Jonathan Lucroy as soon as Wilson Contreras comes back. And the other thing you have to keep in mind is when he comes back, I don't see him playing every single day either. No, no, he won't. And you may need a Jonathan Lucroy to come in late or a Caratini to come in late. So let's say you take Contreras out and you put in Caratini or Luke Roy, and if, God forbid, something were to happen to one of them, you'd still have another catcher to come in. What do you think about Dwayne Underwood? That's, that's a guy who I really want to see more of because I feel like in the very small sample size that we've seen him in the bigs the past, what, year and a half, two years, We've seen some promising stuff. I just want to see what more that guy could bring. And he may get that shot. I agree 100%. I, I too, would like to see more Dwayne Underwood. I think he's got potential to be a mainstay in the Cubs bullpen. You remember that one start he made against the Dodgers? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it was last year. Yep. I I remember him do for for what he was for being a kid doing a pretty good job. 
Now, the numbers this year in the minors are not spectacular, but you know what? Sometimes, this is going to sound weird, but we've seen players thrive better in the majors than in the minors. Because oh, yeah. I, you know, I think I think there's a mental aspect to it of, you know, just being like, oh, God, I'm back in the minors. And your, your, your motivation just jumps when it's it's time to perform for your job. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is when you play in the minors a long time, it may not be crazy to think that a number of minor league players that are, you know, obviously down there a long time as well kind of pick up on you. It's like, okay, we have his scouting report. He's throwing this, this, and this. So, you know, maybe teams just kind of have you scouted. I mean, that's that's part of baseball no matter what level you're on. But if you're at one level for a long time and you're not a pro, you're probably more susceptible to that kind of thing. No, definitely. Without a doubt. So, yeah, I I definitely would like to see. Would definitely like to see him uh, come up at some point. It'd be uh, because let's see. This season, he's got a 270 ERA in the majors. Now, what's the sample size? Three and a third innings. So not much. Not Not much at all. Not much, no. And that start I was referencing last year in L.A., four innings, two hits, one run, one earned, three walks, three strikeouts. So the dude didn't have a very long leash. He pitched four innings and... He made the most of it. So I, I'm, it's it's easy to forget that start, but I, I can still remember watching that and thinking, maybe we have something this kid. I don't know if it's anything huge, but we may have something. Because going forward, looking at your reliever situation and just your pitching situation in general, you may need to reach deeper into the minors, into your system in the future. Because a lot of your veterans are either moving on or getting old, not as good as they once were. And it's not like there's a whole new slew of pitchers that's going to be out there. There'll be some, but you may have to dig into your minors a bit in the future. It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, we had a really good show tonight, but we are just about out of time. Adam, I want to thank you, as always, for coming on the show. I would like to remind our listeners that you could check out Cubby's Crib at cubbyscrib.com. You could also check out this podcast on iTunes.com. So until next week, he's Adam. I'm Alex. Have a great night.